It's 11.30 on Monday, August 23rd, which means it's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. The whole gang is back once again. Jason, fresh off his travels to Colorado and Colorado Springs, UNK Volleyball, playing Air Force. We'll have more of that here in just a few moments. In sports, Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing to start this brand new week. And, of course, six inches of rain falling in southern regions in Nebraska the last uh, 12 hours or so, we'll hear more on that in our regional ag weather update coming in about 15 minutes with Paul Perkins. But let's head out east, as we usually do, with uh, Susan Littlefield. Susan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a Monday. It certainly is. Uh, have you? How much rain did you guys get uh, recently? Anything? No, nothing ever since we talked last Friday. Okay. So, All right. Kind of missed us this weekend. Well, it gives it a chance to soak up, because you guys seem like you got a little bit of rain there, so at least it soaked up a little bit. We'll take it, that's for sure. (laughs) Very good. Well, what do you have for us coming up in midday on this Monday? Well, Whitney will kick off everything here at 1219 as the Nebraska Hereford Tour is back on this year. It'll be September 11th in the southwest part of the state. So she's going to share more details about that. Then coming in here at 1245, I will speak with G.T. Thompson. He is a congressman from the state of Pennsylvania, also happens to be a ranking member on the House Ag Committee. He gave me a call on Friday as he had the chance to do some touring of Nebraska agriculture. So we'll dive into more of that. And then at 117, Alex comes in as NCBA's Josh White is Executive Director of Producer Education. And Dr. Julia Herman is Beef Cattle Specialist Veterinarian. Share an update on producer education within the BQA program. All right. Good stuff coming up. We appreciate it and uh, have a good day. Yes, you too. Thank you very much. All right, let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen in sports. And again, you're coming off of a trip to Colorado Springs, UNK Volleyball exhibition match against Division One Air Force. Things went well. Which the Lopers won. You know, the Mountain West, they might want to send out an email (laughs) uh, to the rest of their members that if you schedule UNK in an exhibition match, uh, you better pack a lunch. Because a couple years back, UNK went and beat Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And then on Saturday... Uh, They beat Air Force. Now, each team didn't play their starters all five sets. But when the starters played through the first three sets, UNK won two of the three. So I'm just saying they were every bit as good as Air Force. Is there any chance that UNK and, let's say, the Huskers play an exhibition match? Uh, I don't think so. Plus, uh, Nebraska's never really done an exhibition match before their season gets started. They always have the red-white scrimmage. Same thing. Own system. Why why not, you know? That might be a little more than the Lopers want to buy it off but the teams in the mountain west who's next the, huh? <laughs> who's next <laughs> uh, i don't know if many of them will be calling coach yeah. squires it's impressive though nonetheless to go on the road and and win against division one and that was pretty cool to be on the air force academy and all of that so we'll touch on that lopers will start the year ranked fourth yeah. in division two mm-hmm. that story just came out also we'll talk about the hastings little leaguers look stay live tonight at six against washington all right good stuff bob brogan how are stocks performing Higher on Wall Street, uh, gains in a broad range of tech stocks, financial and healthcare companies are kind of driving things. Also, the U.S. has given full approval to the COVID-19 vaccine made by Hmm. Pfizer and sales of previously occupied U.S. homes rose in July for the second month in a row. Details on those stories coming up. It's time for Regional Ag Weather Update. Paul Perkins is now joining us here in the studio. And goodness gracious, if you were in southern regions of Nebraska within the last, I don't know, 12 hours or so, 
Not only did you get a drink, but uh, maybe some minor flooding in certain areas, too. Yeah, uh, numerous uh, flood warnings and advisories right along the Nebraska-Kansas border. In many locations, 3 to 6 inches of mm. rain. Alma had 3.3 inches. Bloomington with 3.1 inches. Some of the heavier amounts here. In Avail, we had a listener report. They... And they emailed us a picture of the rain gauge here with this one. 4.9 inches of wow. rain at Inneville. 5.9 inches of rain being reported in the Oxford area and up to 6.2 inches of rain near the Orleans area. Wow, that's a lot of rain and really only a short amount of time again. Yeah, it just kind of kept coming and coming in those areas, and uh, it was still kind of raining this morning. Mm -hmm. Still a little bit of light rain over south-central Nebraska towards Blue Hill and Red Cloud and also to the southeast of Sutton. And it's basically from about Grand Island and Hastings and off to the southeast is where we still have a fair amount of cloud cover. But otherwise, a lot of us enjoying some sunshine right now. Yeah, and a couple of listeners, when I was talking about the rain totals, uh, we, for the most part, received in Nebraska late last week. Mm -hmm. And... They called from southern Nebraska because I was asking, hey, if anybody hasn't received any rain, let us know. You know, the Franklin area and those regions hadn't received a lot of rain from late last week. Well, this little system made up for it. Exactly. And, yeah, it's still raining this morning and kind of in an area where they did not need rain, but I guess that's always the way it rolls. That's right. Well, otherwise, today, tomorrow, and the next couple of days, it's going to be another warm week ahead of us. Yeah, warm and humid, uh, drying out for a few days for all of us. Uh, temperatures right now across the area in the upper 70s to the low 80s, even some mid and upper 80s, mid 80s to around 90 as you head into northern Kansas and southeast Nebraska, currently as high as 90 in the Marysville area, and you'll definitely feel that humidity out there. Two points pretty much from North Platte and McCook on to the east in the upper 60s to the low 70s. So we're feeling that humidity, and we're going to feel it especially because the winds aren't going to be too strong over the next few days, just some light easterly winds. Our temperatures today through Saturday expected to be 5 to 10 degrees warmer than usual. Easterly winds today and tomorrow keeping that humidity higher. With the heat and humidity, our heat index readings expected to be as high as 100 to 105, especially southern Nebraska and in northern Kansas. A few thunderstorms are possible towards eastern Nebraska late today through this evening with a low severe risk, but not expected too much in the way of any major problems. We do have a slight risk of severe storms on into north-central areas of Nebraska, basically from about Valentine to the O'Neill area. Our weather for the entire region turning a little more active as we hit towards Wednesday night into Sunday. Multiple off and on thunderstorms will be possible. The better time for thunderstorm chances currently on Wednesday night and some Saturday night chances. It's not going to rain all the time from Wednesday night into Sunday, but multiple week disturbances. We'll keep those rain chances going. A cold front on Sunday also going to be the focus for some thunderstorm chances and help to drop our temperatures back to seasonal levels by Sunday. In the long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures seasonal to slightly warmer than normal this first weekend of the Nebraska State Fair through the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. In late August for central Nebraska, typical daytime highs are in the low 80s with average overnight lows in the upper 50s to about 60. Rainfall looks to be near normal this weekend through Sunday of Labor Day weekend for both Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors influencing the markets include daily rain chances for the drought-stricken Corn Belt and active weather in southern Brazil. A series of disturbances crossing the northern plains and upper Midwest could lead to some additional drought relief, albeit too late for some summer crops. Five-day rain totals could reach two to four inches in parts of the upper Mississippi Valley and the upper Great Lakes. That should overall be favorable for filling corn and soybeans, but not everyone will see rain. This past weekend, 
Much of Montana and North Dakota saw favorable and beneficial rain, but there were larger holes towards South Dakota. The northern plains will stay very active over this next week with scattered showers and mostly below normal temperatures, providing some rain for filling corn and soybeans and easing their drought. Little or no rain will fall the next five days from the Pacific coast to the southern plains. Late summer heat will dominate most areas from the central and southern plains eastward to the mid and southern Atlantic coast. Mixed conditions across the southern plains continue to leave some areas due Doing well, while others in need of more moisture and a break from the heat. In southern Brazil, outside of some rain across some uh, in southern Brazil, rather, I'm sorry, outside of some rain across southern Rio Grande do Sul, the region was dry over the weekend. Beneficial rain for developing to reproductive wheat will push into Mato Grosso do Sul, Paraná, and Sao Paulo by the end of the week. Soil moisture in southern Brazil continues to be below normal, and more rain is needed for them. Okay, good stuff. So, sounds like the first couple of days this week for pretty much the entire listening area is going to be a little warmer than usual. And then we might have some more chances of rain. Yeah, it looks like mid to late week here and finally getting back to seasonal temperatures as we head towards Sunday. Uh, welcome news if you're going about the Nebraska State Fair. There you go. Make sure you keep those air conditioners, this window air conditioners still installed for at least the next couple of days. <laughs> yeah, not, humidity not going away anytime soon. <laughs> All right. For a uh, full weather forecast this week, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you, Paul. Public Power District. Whitney Steckel joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska Hereford Tour is returning this year with their annual event. Marie Farr with XA Cattle Company and the Nebraska Hereford Association is joining us today to tell us more about what's going to happen at this year's tour. Marie, so the tour is approaching for the breeders rather quickly. So tell us more about what's going to take place at this event that is being held in the southwest region of the state. We're doing something new this year. And we are having a one-day tour. We've had a lot of people kind of ask us if we could try a one-day tour. So we are going to do that. It's going to be held on Saturday, September 11th. And the very first stop will be at Elwood at the fairgrounds. It starts at 8.30. And that will be where the, everybody can register for the judging contest that will be going on throughout the day. And that will also be the first breakfast stop also. The breeders that are going to be there will be Helms Pulled Herefords and Schroeder Brothers Pulled Herefords. So um, from there, we're going to go to Wellfleet and stop at Esterman Herefords. We'll be there for probably about 45 minutes or so. And then we will travel to North Platte to the Lincoln County Fairgrounds. And that will be our lunch stop, and there will be a judging stop and everything there also. See, we've got four breeders that are going to be there. That is Saxon Herford, Fear Lazy V, John Sucro, and then SXA Cattle of Moorfield. So that will be kind of a, a nice, nice stop. Um, and then... From there, I'm kind of excited about this one. We have a new breeder that came to Nebraska here a couple of years ago from Montana, and that is Snowshoe Cattle. And so they are going to be our fourth stop for the day, and that will be from 3 to 4.30, but that's also mountain time since they are in Arthur. From there, then we are going to go to Oshkosh to Van Newkirk. That'll be our last stop for the day, and it will be our supper stop and everything, too. A really neat thing this year on our judging contest is it's open to everybody, 
youth, and adults. And the overall, the top judger, Van Newkerts have donated a pick of their private treaty heifers. So yeah, that'll be pretty neat. So the Nebraska Hereford tour was canceled last year. What does it feel like for these breeders to have the opportunity to come back and showcase their animals this year? Yeah, they're really pretty excited. Um, yeah, last year, like everything was kind of a crazy year. You know, if we had talked about it. It's like, okay, do we have it? What if we start and then we can't have it? So we just decided to postpone it. And, you know, everybody has been really excited about doing this, got a lot of neat ideas, and just they're just excited to get people out and showcase their, their animals. So do you have anything else that you would like to add regarding the tour? Yes, if people are interested on going on the tour, we are asking for them to pre-register. There is no cost to it, but this way we can get an idea for headcount for meals. And they just have to go to our website, and that is NebraskaHerfords.com, and then they can scroll through it and, yeah, just pre-register. That way, like I said, there's no charge to it, but this way we can get a good count for meals. And I'm just excited to see everybody. It's always a really good time to meet new people and get caught up with other breeders. Thank you for your time today, Marie. We sure appreciate it. Yes, no problem. Thank you, Whitney. Again, that was Marie Farr with XA Cattle Company and the Nebraska Hereford Association visiting with us about the Nebraska Hereford Tour being held September 11th in the southwest region of Nebraska. This has been Whitney Steckel reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. For agriculture. It is time for Midday Sports. Sports Director Jason Jorgensen is joining us today. And, well, starting off with uh, Little League Baseball. Yeah, that's been happening. Hastings tries to stay alive tonight in the loser's bracket game against Washington. Yesterday, they fell 11-3 in extra innings. Tonight's game will start at 6. You can see that on ESPN2. Big Ten has announced today that it's determined that if one of its member institutions is unable to play a conference contest due to COVID-19, that contest shall be declared a forfeit and not rescheduled. The contest shall be considered a loss for the team impacted by COVID-19 and a win for its opponent. Now, if both of the two teams are unable to participate in a scheduled game, well, then it's just considered to be a no contest. No surprise here, the Big 12 has taken the same approach when it comes to dealing with COVID. Kind of expected this result to come. Everybody else had been doing it, and Big Ten won the last jump on board, but do what you got to do. Just, just cross your fingers, hope your team stays healthy, mm-hmm. not a lot of the big studs are missing, and you just kind of go on by yeah, go, <laughs> week go. by week, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> the UNK volleyball team is ranked fourth in the AVCA preseason Division Two Top 25. The Lopers finished 2019 second in the rankings while being eighth in the final edition of the Spring Poll. Uh, several D2 conferences didn't play in the spring, however. UNK did grab one first place vote and is one of 11 central region squads in the top 25, which is just ridiculously tough. Washburn is 8th, Northwest Missouri is 16th, Central Missouri is 17th, and Wayne State, they're also good, they're 24th. UNK beat Air Force in an exhibition match on Saturday, and head coach Rick Squires says he has some options going forward. You know, I, I think we also feel really good about the fact that uh, I still don't know who's going to play in a handful of positions. I mean, we saw some really good things off and on from different players, uh, young players, veterans alike. And uh, so maybe we have some depth that can be an advantage to us. 
Angelo State of Texas is a preseason number one. Now the season begins next weekend in New York City for the Lopers as they will take part in the Malloy College invite. Among the competitors is Gannon of Pennsylvania, who UNK mm-hmm. had their hands full with, eventually one and four the quarters back in 2019. Nebraska volleyball seniors Nicklin Hames and Lexi Sun were voted to the preseason All-Big Ten team by the league's 14 head coaches. Also, Nebraska's picked second in the preseason rankings behind Wisconsin. Now, Hames was injured in Saturday's red-white scrimmage, and she's not expected to play this weekend for the Huskers. Coach Cook just said that within the last hour. They don't believe anything's broken, but she has a badly sprained ankle. Uh, Nebraska will begin the season on Friday at home against Tulsa at 11. We'll bring that match to everyone on Cami Country. Uh, they've got some depth on that mm-hmm. roster, too, but uh, you don't want to lose your setter to a bad wheel to begin the year. Well, and hopefully it's just this weekend. But how about volleyball in Nebraska? Uh, I mean, at, at both levels, really, at every level. It's, it's it is. Competitive. Yep. Uh, there's there's a lot of kids that come out of the high schools that can play, and then they gravitate toward the colleges, and there you mm-hmm. go. And milestone yesterday, mm-hmm. Miguel Cabrera, the Tigers hit his 500th home run, the 28th player in Major League history to get to that plateau. Good for him. He's Mm -hmm. not what he once was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, you still grew a fastball down the plate, and he'll he'll hit a a country mile. One strong dude, and it doesn't take much to get out. I remember him as uh, the Marlins. Beat the Yankees. Won the World Series. Fun stuff. All right. Thank you very Mm -hmm. much. Sustainability. Time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder stepping in, and we're hearing from Nebraska's senator about the happenings in Afghanistan. Yes, uh, in the aftermath of the Taliban's uh, swift takeover of Afghanistan, thousands of desperate Afghans are trying to evacuate the country, along with Americans. Senator Ben Sass joined Fox News Sunday to criticize President Biden's plan on how to evacuate the Americans and Afghans trying to escape Taliban rule. We need the Taliban to know that we're going to get our people and the allies are going to be able to get their people. And our people are obviously American citizens, but they're also all those special immigrant visa holders who risk their lives on behalf of Americans to take the fight to Al-Qaeda and the Taliban over there. And a NATO official said there's been 20 deaths outside of the Kabul airport in the past week. This comes as Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has ordered the use of 18 commercial airplanes to help the U.S. military evacuation of American nationals and refugees in Afghanistan. A rock band has canceled an Iowa concert because of Iowa's so-called vaccine passport ban. The Des Moines Register reports the band Spoon nixed its September 9th show. The band posted on Instagram that it wanted Des Moines' Hoyt Sherman Place to require concert goers to show proof of vaccination or a recent negative COVID test, but a new Iowa law bans businesses from requiring proof of vaccination in that state. Spoon instead will play a show at Omaha, Nebraska's Slow Down Music Hall. In Kansas, Butler County authorities say a teenager drowned over the weekend after he drove his pickup truck into a pond. The truck went into the pond north of Tawanda late Friday or early Saturday. Another juvenile in the car was able to escape. The boy's body was recovered on Sunday. No names or other information has been released. And in western Kansas, a man is dead after he accidentally shot over the weekend, or was shot over the weekend, by a roommate. 
Police say the shooting happened late Friday night in Hayes when first responders were called to home for a shooting. Arriving Hayes police officers and Ellis County Sheriff's deputies found a man with a gunshot wound to his head. The man was rushed to a Hayes hospital where he later died. Investigators say one of the man's roommates was trying to repair a gun when it unexpectedly fired, shooting the victim in the head. Investigators have ruled the shooting accidental. The victim's name has not been released. And that's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. It was the opportunity for an East Coast politician to learn more about agriculture in Nebraska. Pennsylvania's 15th Congressional District Representative is G.T. Thompson. He also is on the House Ag Committee. He and I talked about the importance of Nebraska agriculture and what he learned this last week. I'm proud to be here as a ranking member of the U.S. House Agriculture Committee. You know, Nebraska is a, a great agriculture state. And my, you know, my commitment serving in, in my leadership position is really to be a voice for American agriculture. You know, it's our number one industry. It's, uh, it's an industry that touches, uh, more American lives on a daily basis than anything else that we do. And frankly, it's important not just for what we put on our plate, but it's important for the rural economy. And so, uh, proud to be here, uh, you know, doing some, uh, uh, farm visits, uh, you know, checking in with, uh, you know, different commodity groups, uh, work with the farm, uh, the Nebraska Farm Bureau, which is always a great leader for a voice for agriculture. Um, you know, checking in on, uh, on, uh, the ethanol industry, which is, uh, important, uh, very important industry, to, uh, from so many different perspectives. And so, uh, you know, Nebraska kind of has it all. You know, it's a, it's a crossroads here. Oh, very much so. You know, you had the opportunity. I know that you participated in a roundtable early on in the morning. And so it kind of gave you uh, another insight as to the workings of agriculture within our state and the, and the global reach that Nebraska has. Uh, it does. Um, I mean, we're, um, uh, state of Nebraska, the farmers and ranchers here are putting the food in the bellies of not just the the folks in Nebraska, but across the country and quite frankly around the globe. And, um, and that's, you know, so incredibly important. And the, the opportunity here too of, of what's produced. I, I always say that American agriculture is about science, technology, and innovation. And when you look at the statistic that, uh, uh basically uh, somewhere around, uh, American agriculture's increase in productivity, uh, about 287 percent since 1940s. It, it just just speaks to how important it is what uh, what uh, you all do here and what what American agriculture offers. Uh, you know, uh, not just American families, but families in different parts, in different countries around the globe. You know, I think if if we can say that COVID 19 and the pandemic has brought one good thing about, I think it's the fact that consumers that are non ag really have gotten a good understanding as to what happens in agriculture. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, I was really, uh, I had to take a step back when, when I learned the statistic that prior to uh, 2020, COVID-19, you know, that uh, about 61% of all meals were eaten in restaurants. I was really shocked by that, actually. Um, and so, uh, the, you know, the fact that families were, were really pushed back to the family dining room table and then we saw that, you know, we had a disruption in the food supply chain because of uh, more or less of, of, of 
of how we package food. You know, when we lost the the markets for the the bulk packaging for for schools, for universities, for uh, uh, restaurants, um, it, it really resulted in a supply chain disruption. And you know, and we need to learn from that lesson. I think that's one of the challenges. It's certainly something I'm looking forward to with the Agriculture Committee of learning the lessons of 2020 and COVID. Uh, and impacts on the food supply chain, the agriculture supply chain. Is, what can we do to build resiliency within that? Uh, I will say that obviously, as, as you were kind of alluding to, there were a lot of very negative impacts on our lives with this uh, pandemic that we we went through. But maybe one of the more, I hope, positive impacts was a lot of families coming back together and sharing their meal at the dining room table. Now, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm sure as things have opened up here and will continue to, a lot of people will go back to using restaurants, and that's great. But I'm also hoping and praying that perhaps maybe families will uh, at least spend a little more time at that dining room table. I think I think that's good for families, and that's good for America. Food inflation affects everybody, and it's just going to continue to see a rise. Yeah, we've uh, seen uh, inflation, uh, unfortunately, as a result of some really misguided policies. I mean, incentivizing people not to work, uh, $1,400 checks for family member, increasing uh, well, tax, child tax credit, and uh, extra unemployment. It has really driven up the, uh, one of the variables uh, that has driven, uh, you know, inflation is the cost of uh, finding that qualified and trained workforce. And then you add on top of that the cost of energy, um, you know, uh, which has gone up significantly, continues to grow almost looks like each and every week. It gets more and more expensive. You know, uh, as a result, you know, we see increased costs for, for eggs, for milk, for meat, all the commodities have increased in prices. Now, the sad part, Susan, is our farmers and ranchers aren't getting any of that extra money. You know, that, that inflationary cost is uh, uh, it's not benefiting the farmers and ranchers, uh, but it is... It is creating a hardship on the American family. We'll have more coming up in conversations with the congressman from Pennsylvania. And again, that is G.T. Thompson spending some time in our state this last week. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Stocks are solidly higher, led by gains in a broad range of technology, financial, and healthcare companies. I'm Bob Brogan with the Business Report. Energy stocks rose as the price of crude oil recovered some of the ground it lost in recent days. Crude oil prices were up 5.5%. Investors will be looking to the Federal Reserve this week, which has an annual conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The U.S. has given full approval to the COVID-19 vaccine made by Pfizer. The Food and Drug Administration's decision today may help lift public confidence in vaccinations as the nation battles the most contagious coronavirus mutant yet. The FDA has never before had so much evidence to judge a shot's safety. All New York City public school teachers and other staffers will have to get vaccinated against the coronavirus. Officials announced the new policy today as the nation's largest school system prepares for classes to start next month. Sales of previously occupied U.S. homes rose in July for the second month in a row. 
though they only increased modestly from a year ago, suggesting the red-hot housing market may be cooling off a little. The National Association of Realtors says existing home sales rose 2% last month from June to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 5.99 million units. Pfizer is spending more than $2 billion in cash to buy another drug maker focused on potential cancer treatments. New York-based Pfizer says it will pay $18.50 for each share of Trillium Therapeutics Incorporated, or more than double the stock's 60-day weighted average price. Trillium has no products on the market. Its potential treatments include biologics that aim to prime a patient's immune system to detect and destroy cancer cells. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm... Getting an update in beef producer education. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network, and I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Josh White. He's the executive director of producer education for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and also Dr. Julia Herman. She serves as the beef cattle specialist veterinarian at NCBA. And first, Josh explained how consumers are playing a role in beef producer education. Yeah, well, a few years ago, we... uh you know, realized through our consumer market research that NCBA does for the checkoff that consumers were asking a lot more questions about production, particularly animal welfare. Uh, when we asked them what concerns you about how cattle are raised, the conversation more than half of the time is going to welfare issues, even though we may hear other angles from the news media like greenhouse gases or something. Consumers keep going back to welfare. And so we said, well, you know, for 30 years, we've been working on taking great care of our cattle through the BQA program. Why don't we see if that resonates with consumers? And it did. Uh, it really did. And so we developed some content that is actually consumer-facing that you can now find on the BeefIt'sWhat'sForDinner.com site. And Josh went into detail on some of that new content they're creating. Well, we also learned they didn't want too many details. Um, you know, we told them, you know, we take really seriously our for instance, antibiotic stewardship. And they said, well, what does that mean? So we handed them our judicious use guidelines, which are multiple points in depth. And they said, we don't want that much information. So really what they want to hear is we're taking the time to get educated, to learn the, the uh, best practices on raising cattle so that they're healthy, they're well taken care of, but also that it produces a great quality product because what's in it for me, right? I mean, that's where consumers are today. So we are connecting how we take care of the cattle to a high quality and product in our messaging to consumers. And to bring the conversation full circle, Josh said, get certified. Make sure your BQA certification is up to date. We've got a great new state coordinator in Nebraska that can do in-person trainings for you or some of his trainers that he coordinates. Um, Jesse Fulton's doing a great job and I know a lot of the veterinarians in Nebraska have been um, sort of retrained so that they can deliver that certification to their clients. And in addition to explaining how consumers are playing a role in beef producer education, Dr. Julia Herman with NCBA also explained that they're creating some new modules focused on biosecurity. If anything we have learned about in the last year is biosecurity is really important to keep uh, not only our humans safe, but also our cattle safe. And so the BQA team really wanted to provide some resources to our producers to try to step-by-step look at their operations and see where they can make these uh, little improvements to keep their cattle safe. And Dr. Herman explained that with the spread of African swine fever, it's prompted beef producers to think more seriously about biosecurity. 
Yeah, having ASF uh, come into the Western Hemisphere is really an eye-opener for the cattle industry. Our friends in the swine and the poultry industry have already looked at their biosecurity plans very closely, and we wanted to try to step up and come up to that level. And Dr. Herman said her take-home message for producers... Biosecurity is a verb, so it's always changing. We want our producers to evaluate this at least annually. We want them to continue to improve. And uh, this is a great way to um, take advantage of different members of their resource team, like their veterinarian or their state BQA coordinator. All of those can be really great partnerships to work through these biosecurity plans. Again, those comments coming from both Josh White, the executive director of producer education for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and Dr. Julia Herman, the beef cattle specialist veterinarian at NCBA. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Play Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we check in now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, not a bad way to kick off the week, seeing a lot of grains back in the positive territory, but I see we start the day with a flash sale of corn to Mexico, yet it's corn that's ending in the red here on the day. What just couldn't help those bulls overcome the loss? Yeah, we close the dime off the low. I think that's a pretty good sign that... Uh you know, the market has some support here. Uh, there's some rumors mid-morning that China had bought four six cargoes, but that's not confirmed at this point. I imagine that if we confirm a bottom like that off news, the market will hold. I think one other bullish piece of news that I'm watching here is September. Uh, you know, we're going into the first notice day. You and I have talked a lot about that topic over the last few years. And September was eight under, almost quite eight under. We got six, six and a half under last week trades out to two over now. So that's telling you that the price of corn in the near term is firming up. Uh, you know, I don't know if that changes the story here for longer term, you know, offers into December, but uh, in, the, in the short run here, I think you, you're going to see at least a near term blow in that September. On the bigger picture, we saw the macro markets influence the trade so much last week. Is there the possibility the macros could hijack the fundamental trade once again if the Fed were to mention taper or get serious about tapering in Jackson Hole later this week? Oh, I'm sure there's a knee-jerk reaction lower, uh, but that would probably come from the stock market, in my opinion, which made another new high today in the stock in the S&P 500. So, you know, the money flow train continues into into the markets in general. Uh, you know, the status quo is slowly being cemented here that the, the economy needs this kind of support. I think that's a, uh, you know, that's a dangerous precedence to set. Uh, this whole thing, really going back to 2008, has been dangerous. You have, um, you know, essentially puppet masters, and I don't mean to say that in, like, a nefarious way. It's just simply, you know, the fact is, you know, these folks, are very few people are controlling their, their decisions are affecting, you know, billions of dollars, trillions of dollars of assets and billions of lives. And I think that, uh, you know, it's just very difficult to prognosticate on one guy's change. I, I think at this point in time, given the soft data points we've seen the last couple of weeks, we've seen corrections in lumber, we've seen corrections in a lot of different markets. I think they're going to continue to use because they pretty much have to uh, at this point. Um, you know, the economy itself is, is still so fragile, and especially in metro areas where, um, in, in the case of Chicago, for example, like still it's, it's a ghost town in the financial district. The rest of the city's kind of opened up, but... Most of the downtown real estate is going to sit empty, which means all the restaurants around are going to be, you know, losing money. So I think until we see turnover in that, then we'll uh, we'll continue to print money, and that'll be bullish commodity. So I think we'll make a low here in the near term. I hate to be bullish at this time of the year, though. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst. More DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, trading future options involved risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. 
Thank you, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on this Monday. Catch the Midday Podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors. Rubber podcasts can be found or online at krvn.com.